Morning, Dr. Badia here for another bi-weekly episode of the podcast, Fixing Healthcare from the Trenches. It's uh, my pleasure today to really welcome a guest who knows much more about podcasting and even uh, care transformation than I do. So this is really uh, an honor for me. We recently met Dr. Zeev Newworth, is, uh, is a physician and keeping in line with my tradition of trying to get uh, caregivers who are really trying to disrupt healthcare delivery. Uh, he is currently the Clinical Chief of Care Transformation and Strategic Services for Atrium Health. So that's a mouthful, but it's very descriptive of, of what he's doing. Uh, for background, uh, Dr. Newworth uh, went to, uh, did his undergrad work at Tufts, went to UPenn, uh, University of Pennsylvania for medical school, then did a, a master's in healthcare management at, uh, at Harvard, at uh, the uh, Harvard Business School. Um, then trained in New York, like me, uh, up the street from NYU at Mount Sinai and did internal medicine, then did cardiology uh, in the early 90s. Um, and now he's, Zeev, uh, I understand you're in Charlotte, right? You've been in Boston, but now you are really trying to make an impact on healthcare. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Alejandro. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Um, I so just just for clarity's sake, I I actually just left Atrium a couple oh, of months wow. ago. Yeah. I've been there for uh, nearly a dozen years and had a number of uh, executive roles. Uh, the last one was, in fact, uh, chief of clinical care transformation. Uh, just to clarify, and the first name is actually pronounced Zeb, although it's it's oh. spelled Zeev. So apologies <laughs> for that. Okay. Well, at least you, I think you got my first name right, so that's a little more challenging. So, <laughs> thanks. Um, no so, where are you? Uh, so, remind uh, the viewers where you're at now, Seb, and, and what what you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm in still in Charlotte. We've been here for a little over a dozen years, and um, since leaving Atrium, uh, I've actually been focused on my book, which came out in September. Of, of this year, 2023, it's it's called Beyond the Walls, and uh, it's really about the megatrends and the movements and the market disruptions that are transforming American healthcare. And uh, so the timing worked out pretty well. So I've really been traveling around the country, speaking about the book at uh, large association meetings and some hospital systems, and uh, beginning to do some seminars on that. And be happy to dive into it if you'd like. Sure. Uh, well, we. For the viewers, we we I had read uh, that 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 uh, same book, which is your second book, and then we met at the Becker's Healthcare Conference, where you gave a lecture. And unfortunately, I did a podcast there with uh, that Scott Becker had had started, and it, it conflicted, so I didn't get to hear the end. But I did read your book, and uh, then you suggested, rightly so, that I should uh, afterwards read your first book. So I mm. wish I'd started with this one. So I'm going to give you a shameless plug for reframing. Healthcare, and I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 about halfway through it now. Yeah. But uh, what what's interesting is that you are uh, advocating for for really a, a refra I mean a reframing and and more of a um, mm -hmm. let's say a, a demand side thinking rather than a supply side, which really makes a lot of sense. So if maybe you can delve into that a bit. Yeah. So just to give the listeners a sense, so uh, about 10 years ago, which was uh, well over 20 years into my career, um, I had a number of things happen to me. And I just realized that 
um, the course we were on from a larger healthcare system perspective wasn't sustainable. And in fact, uh, now 10 years later, most of the experts I, I've spoken to would completely agree. In fact, I'm, I'm hearing from numerous experts now a, a real sense of concern about American healthcare um, and not thinking about it 10 or 15 years, but literally in the next two or three years, uh, people have used the word collapse um, more than once in, in, in lectures and seminars I've been attending. But about 10 years ago, I started to uh, look for some solutions. And so I started to interview uh, entrepreneurs uh, uh, who were really creating a new healthcare, uh, everything from pediatrics to mental health to uh, elder care to primary care to specialty care. And I would interview these experts, uh, typically well over an hour of in-depth interviewing. I would uh, transcribe those interviews. I would study the transcriptions. And uh, over time, and now I've done this for a decade, um, so I have hundreds and hundreds of these in-depth interviews. So when I speak, it's not from my perspective, which by the way, my prof professional perspective is uh, what we call population health. So in my career, I have uh, had to look at large populations of patients and and really look at, at the best way to deliver care. I, I actually call it personalized population health because it's really about the individual and bringing the best care to the individual, but being accountable for a large uh, population of patients. And in that first book, Alejandra, that you pointed out, Reframing Healthcare, I published that uh, in 2019, and it really was a distillation of the process, how these hundreds and hundreds of, of very, very successful entrepreneurs um, were really changing healthcare. And I, I wanted to give that gift, if you will, to other leaders to say, listen, this is how the transformation is happening. They, they are actually following a roadmap. And I laid out that roadmap, what I call the reframe roadmap. And, and as you point out, one of the major pivots I had seen literally starting 10, 12 years ago was that these folks were really um, building healthcare from the perspective of the patient, of the consumer, not from our perspective. And I called that the marketing mindset because fundamentally it was the question, what does the consumer really want and need? How do I actually create that value and that experience that they want? And how do I know that I've actually delivered on it? That Those are the fundamental principles of marketing, which I learned as a graduate student at Harvard. And, um, and it, 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 it's being now adopted um, into healthcare. And so I, I shared that marketing mindset, that reframe roadmap, in the second book, which was published now after literally a decade of doing these in-depth interviews, I actually um, shared dozens and dozens of examples of not the how these people were doing it, but actually what they were doing to transform healthcare. Yeah. If I yeah, if I if I could interject that, that's what I liked actually about your second book, which, which I read first, right? That. <laughs> It was well for one. It was optimistic, which is great because mm -hmm. I've read many books. Um, look, e even my own is honestly somewhat pessimistic because I'm I'm telling people the truth about what's going on. Mm -hmm. But in your book, you painted a very possible picture because you interviewed people who actually are doing these things. The problem is those people aren't getting the platform, right? They're not getting the engagement. And I know you you know when I spoke to you in in yeah. Chicago about how frustrated. You know, I yes. know that I'm disrupting musculoskeletal initial care, but yes. I can't get the players to really pay attention. So when you read that book, you see so many 
read so many uh, 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 stories and anecdotes about what they're doing that makes sense. So, you know, th this that's the idea of these podcasts. And I, I should point out that um, uh, for the listeners, uh, Zev has been uh, talking about this for, gosh, six years now because your podcast, Creating a New Healthcare, is is all about that and i guess you probably compiled a lot of the material that led to your your first book and, and now and now your second book yeah so the the podcast it's it's actually i think over seven years um it's it's on its way to eight years now in terms of it, it you know i think it's the longest lasting podcast i i've not come across any other healthcare podcast wow. as as you know consistently long as that one but you know this point is a really really important one because as you and I talk to physicians, um, you know, and and across the country, what we and, and leaders in healthcare, we hear a lot of pessimism. We hear a lot of, you know, jadedness. I would say a sense of of uh, hopelessness and helplessness. And you know, while I don't want to discount that at all, because look, the the, the if you we could cite, and I could literally cite the statistics now and the facts. About, about the healthcare system from quality and safety and cost and the burnout, um, it's pretty dismal. So I, I wanna be realistic. And yet at the same time, my approach, as you pointed out, Alejandro, my approach has been, and this has been my journey. I'm just gonna be totally honest about it. This, I did this to heal myself. I mean, I was, you know, 10 years ago, I, I literally was at a crossroads and I did not know what to do. And so I went this route of positive deviance. I went, instead of trying to study the problem more or solve the problem more, I went for the folks who had actually solved the problems. And I thought to myself, let me talk to the folks. And, and that this has been my decade-long journey of hopefulness. And I think the way to solve the problem is literally to do exactly what I've done, which is that look at the people who are actually creating the solutions. And I'm talking about not in theory, not in pilots, but they actually have living organizations that are successfully transforming healthcare. And let's look at what they're doing, the big picture. And I'm happy to, to give you the, the three-part strategy, which I've distilled from now 10 years of listening and, and observing and tracking and monitoring these folks. But, but you know, the idea is we don't have to start from scratch. There are literally hundreds and hundreds. You're, you're, you know, you're an example of this too, uh, you know, of, of, and what, and your point is well taken. What we need to do, and the reason I'm out there talking to healthcare leaders is we need to start to look at these positive deviants and start to adopt them. We need to resource them and we need to scale them. And, and, you know, that, by the way, there is no other way out of this. Um, we don't have the time to start to recreate everything from scratch and there's no need to. Yeah. So I'm going to comment on the third Republican debate that was last week. Okay? okay. And I'm, I pointed this out and, and I tried to get some media engagement to notice this and comment on it. And nobody, nobody would engage, uh, the, in the third one, the only mention was Christy Haley mentioned that we need more Medicare Advantage plans. And I thought, my God, well, I mean, at least in Miami, some of the wealthiest people here are the ones who buy and sell uh, patients like their cattle head. They make mm -hmm. money per patient and then they ration. And, and, that, and that's how they, they, they make money. And I thought how misguided if mm -hmm. our, the people who are looking to lead this country uh, have not, you know, heard from people like like us and everybody you mentioned in your book. I mean, I really believe we could have a, a summit 
in DC with those kind of people that you that you reference and yeah. really fix it. Uh, but but we, there isn't an appetite because I haven't been able to get it. I mean, I've been up to Capitol Hill. Um, uh, other than some of the physician uh, legislators, they they get it. Um, but otherwise, mm -hmm. it's been very difficult in, in a popular media. So I, I I think that what you're what you're you're trying to do mm -hmm. um, is a challenge until we get a groundswell from the public. Right. Yeah. I mean, the public did this with a, a host of other social issues, as we've seen the last few years. Yeah. You know, I think, again, I, I think you're right. And look, this is this is a, a mission here we are on. Right. Um, the, the fact of the matter is and, and this is why the facts are so important. The fact of the matter is that the, the vast majority of Americans and I mean, the majority of Americans uh, cannot afford our the health care they are getting, and it's only getting worse. Literally year by year, it's 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 accelerating. Um, it it costs for a family of four, a, a working family of four, it costs twenty four thousand dollars a year for their health care costs. Now they don't see that all in their premium, but where it's coming from is is the wages. And so we've seen wage suppression going on for the last three or four decades. And it is one of the reasons why the American dream is now out of the reach of most Americans. It is because of healthcare, okay. and and I'm not making it up. This is coming no, from the experts, the right? The numbers are there. Um, it, all it takes is one hospitalization, one major hospitalization, or one major chronic disease or trauma, and that that individual or that American working American family is going to be in medical debt and probably be in medical debt for quite a significant amount of time. So, you know, you know and then we look at, at, at the outcomes of care. I mean, th this is, this is tragic. I mean, yes. I just saw a study um, actually, and this is verifies many other studies that in the United States of America, and this was a study done with 22 million patients who were discharged from American hospitals, 22 million patients. And they found in one year, there were 800,000 people who are either permanently maimed or killed in the American healthcare system. We know the American healthcare system is the number three or four cause of deaths. Now, okay. you know, so this is what we need to, to, to make known to the public and to the legislators. And, and it's going to come to a head. It's going to come to a head. Some people are saying in the next, literally, I, I was having dinner with an expert who, who actually is connected to folks in, in high levels of government. Um, in DC. And, and he was saying to me, the prediction is 2025 or 26 is when we're going to see the collapse of the American healthcare system. Now, I don't believe that to be true. Quite honestly, I don't. Um, I don't see, I don't see enough from the economist to, to, to tell me that's going, you know, going to happen. Um, and, and not that the economists are, are the end all and be all, because we know that they missed a, a lot of stuff happening right now with inflation over the past couple of years, they missed that, that whole thing. And, 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 and fortunately, it's turned around and they missed that as well. The fact that it was going to turn around as well. But, but you know, the, the, the point is that we have to, and this is why I, I wrote the two books. This is why I have the podcast. This is why I'm going around the country speaking. We have to get exactly this into the hands of, of the politicians in the legisl and the legislators so they can actually be aware, here's what's working and here's what we need to do. And at an accelerated time rate, I mean, we don't have the time. Well, they, 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 they really don't understand what the problems are. And uh, um, certainly, I mean, it's hard to fix them if you don't know what the, the root of the problems is. And I mean, that's the one thing I try to do with my book. And I'm as I read yours, I was very, uh, very envious because yours was, you know, examples and 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 I was you know doomsday. But I, I think people needed to know 
what the problems are. Well, Alejandro, you, you're, Alejandro, you're going to be you're going to be in my next book of solutions. <laughs> okay. Well, we're we're right. Uh, well, we're trying to do it in the MSK world. So um, yeah, you know, we'll 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 stay in touch for that for sure. So let's let's have um, Zeb your 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 top three. I mean, bullet point format. Bam, bam, bam. What top three initiatives that you think would really yeah. help fix healthcare? Yeah. And I'm going to take this at a, at a, at a top level, a high level, okay. and I could dive into e any one of these three and give very, very specific uh, bullet points, but, and well, double click on them. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing. There are three major strategies that are afoot here. And, and if we don't abide by these, we will not uh, write American healthcare. The first is the digital tech revolution. The, the truth is, in every single example I have seen, every single one, hundreds and hundreds of successful entrepreneurial recreations of healthcare that are alive and working, there have been three three ingredients. The first is digital technology, state of the art digitech. There is no other way we're gonna we're gonna save the healthcare system, um, and that now includes, of course, artificial intelligence. The second one is that digital technology must be coupled. coupled all that innovation must be coupled with business model transformations, and you know, and again, I, I have not seen. There is no innovation without a business model transformation or innovation. And I could, I could double click and explain what I mean by that. But there are, there are literally within that, there are multiple revolutions that are, are, are happening in healthcare. Most people have no understanding of the fundamental market disruptions, business model disruptions that are happening today. Some of them have been, have been literally growing and picking up steam for the past 10 years. So Digitech, um, business model transformation. And the third one I, I believe is the most critical is the humanism movement in healthcare. And I have been talking to, again, hundreds and hundreds of these folks. And one of the most common themes I hear is that they are driven by a sense of humanism. We know in healthcare today, healthcare is rife with racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, classism, industrialism, reductionism. All those isms have to be replaced by one-ism, which is humanism. And, and those are not just words or philosophy or ethics. I can show you example after example of large, successful, now multi-billion dollar healthcare systems and organizations that have adopted the principle of humanism, again, using digital technology and state-of-the-art digitech and state-of-the-art business model revolutions and transformations, but all focused on one thing, which is taking care of people in a respectful, dignified way. And, uh, you know, God save us if we don't do that, because we will head to a very, very dystopian future, which uh, I am I am I do not want to see happen. Well, you you brought out in the uh, in, in the second book in uh, Beyond the Wall, you met you you brought something that really struck me. And I, you know, of course, I'd heard about SDOH, right, for our, our listeners, the, the social determinants of health. And you, you gave some incredible examples. And I thought to myself, my God. We need to do much more about that because that really it, you have to put it in the con, right in the context mm -hmm. um, contextual healthcare right that's and exactly that, right. that's critical. So I don't think um, our primary care colleagues have even the uh, the time a lot of times to think about this and 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 di the digitization uh, uh, of of healthcare. I think will lead to that. So I'm going to jump into my three. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. So yeah. one of the things I find in it, mentioning primary care, I, I see them as being the people who keep us healthy and oversee our health care. But there has been this concept of the gatekeeper having to go through 
And that makes no sense. There is too much to know in healthcare nowadays. So I believe right clinician at the right time. So right clinician, meaning seeing that right type of uh, physician, it may not be a physician. It could be a very well-trained, you know, mid-level provider, a nurse, what have you, who knows and see them at the right time, because that's really where a lot of money is saved is when things are seen early. You know, today I, I just finished seeing patients an hour ago. Mondays have become a nightmare for me because, okay, you, you hurt your wrist and you did what then? And you went and you went and, and, and I'm the first person you're seeing who knows something about the wrist. Wow. I'm thinking about the dollars that just escaped. Uh, so that, that is a, a crux of, of my, uh, of my objective. Uh, the other one is oversight, not authorization. And finally, we're seeing some groundswell about minimizing authorization process, which really is a is a hurdle. I mean, once you're authorized to see the right type of clinician, why should you jump through hoops anymore? Which which also so. And, but I do we do need oversight, right, Zev? I mean, we definitely mm-hmm. need um, at thirty thousand feet, making sure people aren't overordering tests, people aren't 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 doing unnecessary surgeries. So no question. Um, and the last one is what is what you you become an expert and I'm trying to learn is public education. Educating the public about these problems is is a way that we can solve it because if they, if the public doesn't understand this, then it's going to be very hard for us to get the legislative backing to make to make create real initiatives because the, the three that you mentioned all make sense. but now we need to get uh, popular media explaining this to people. And obviously, mm-hmm. the people who make decisions uh, on Capitol Hill. Yeah, no, I, I think those are all all really reasonable uh, points you're making. And um, you know, I do think that again, the digital technology. You know, if you look at other industries, you can get a lot of information. Like, if I want to go purchase something now, I can become quite expert uh, right now and going and comparing, contrasting, looking at prices, looking at the right. performance of it, looking at others who have used it and compared it to other other uh, you know products and services so i do think that you're right about uh, you know an informed uh, public uh, informed healthcare consumer uh and uh you know quite honestly healthcare has been so opaque so complicated so hard to understand and i think i think you know opening it up in the way that other industries have have begun to open up as well and making it easily available so i i completely agree with that uh you know again I, I do think people need and want to be in charge of health. You know, there there are so many, I, I will share, there are, you know, this is now diving down, uh, sort of clicking down another level. I would say there there are some, as I've been, again, talking to experts across the country, there are a few other points that are really important. I think one of which is the whole wellness movement. You know, right now we have, you know, we have, and and I, I I apologize to anyone who's listening, Alejandro, yourself as well, but we have a, we have a a healthcare system with which is which is almost one hundred percent focused on after the fact, after something's broken. Now, in some cases, like orthopedics, thank God, um, you know, and and look, people call it the sickness care system. Thank God we have the best, world's best sickness care system. I I thank God every single day because if you have yeah, a trauma, that's, the, ir- that's or, the irony, right? Right. Or if you have a yeah. cancer, or if you have yeah. something bad, you know, a heart attack or a stroke. Thank God we have the best system in the world, um, the best doctors, nurses, professionals, institutions, the best science, the best technology. Having said that, we what we don't have is we don't have a system that keeps us uh, away from those bad things. And so, I mean, not for nothing, but 
I'd rather not have the stroke than have the best stroke center or not have the heart attack or clot in my heart and not have the best cardiac intervention center. And so I think the point here is that, in fact, I've been speaking to a bunch of economists about this. Their argument is, you know, forget about the healthcare perspective, which is, of course, the main perspective, which is, you know, we need to prevent these things from happening. Um, but their point is there is no way we are going to be able to afford healthcare in the next five or seven or 10 years unless we start to prevent disease and the bad outcomes of disease. There's no, you cannot dig yourself out of the hole through better chronic disease management. And because the medications cost money and, and the prevalence of chronic disease is getting larger, the only way out is to prevent chronic disease. And what that means, by the way, that's not to put the, the responsibility on the individual patient. I was I, I actually had this, this discussion with someone and, and a bit of an argument where they said, well, it's personal responsibility. You've got to eat right and you've got to exercise and all this sort of stuff. You know, and the and the answer is no, it doesn't work that way. Right, right. You know, you know, there are a, a small percentage of people who are fanatic about exercise and, and the right nutrition, all that. And by the way, you have to have the you have to have the resources and, and the money and everything. But as you pointed out, this in the in terms of the social determinants of health, what we know for sure are two things. One is that that the vast majority of health outcomes um really depends on your environment. And we also know that behavior is a function of your environment and the other people around you. And what we need to do is create an environment of wellness, which is, I think, going to be fundamentally the number one priority for healthcare for the next, I would say, few decades. Well, that being said, I want to, again, bring back the optimism that you mentioned, particularly in, in, uh, in Beyond the Wall. There are people out there doing it. Uh, so so we, we, we know that it can be done. We just need to scale it, replicate it, and and educate people about it. And I want to thank you Zev, for, for coming on the show and, and talk about this. And I really encourage our listeners to, to read these books, uh, Reframing Healthcare and Beyond the Wall, because it gives concrete examples of what we can do. And I thank you for taking the time. Well, Alejandro, I just I just want to also shamelessly plug you. I, I am such a big fan of yours. Um, you, you know, you really embody what we need to be doing, which is really, you know, practicing, but also studying and really broadening our, our minds and and looking to the to 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 create a better future. So I take my hat off to you for what Thank you're you. doing. Thank I you. Appreciate it. Well, speaking of uh in two weeks, uh folks sign, you know, join us and uh uh, obviously, this uh, podcast will be on uh, on audio for uh, Apple and Spotify. But I, I I really believe we've touched on some very strong points. And please give us your feedback. You know, throw uh, throw fruit at us, what have you. But we want engagement. Uh, it, it's it's high time we 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 move away from apathy. We really need to fix this. So thank you so much, Dr. Newworth, and for everyone. See you in uh, two weeks.